0: So welcome to episode 63, part 2 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And uh, we're finishing off the pod tonight, Daz. uh, We tried to do it last night, but uh, we ended up uh, falling a little bit short, we had three teams left to cover off. Uh, so we're talking tonight on your commute home again. Uh, some bad news overnight for the Spurs, which it was confirmed uh, that Dejounte Murray has torn his ACL. So unfortunately, he's out for the season, it appears. And some other news: Daz, your second favourite team, the Phoenix Suns uh, decide to fire their GM. So there's nothing like a good, nothing like a bit of certainty. Um, about the franchise and, and really knowing your direction, and I think Phoenix have certainly got that got that covered, haven't they? At the moment,
1: they do. It's the classic, um, complete philosophical, economic, and professional alignment from the owner down to its uh, you know to the fifteenth man on the roster. It's um, highly predictable, the chaos, skullfuckery, and randomness that is the Phoenix Suns. And I think my my headline, which if you allow, will (laughs) allow me to uh, expand, is that I'm quite confident now and anointing this the most, single most dysfunctional um, major North American sports franchise, dethroning um, the long-tenured Cleveland Browns institution. And the the up-and-coming Sacramento Kings had many cracks at it. But the Browns still hadn't won a game in like three and a half years while, while Vlade was, was going for it. But as as we hinted last night, Vlade and, and his lieutenants have got a few things going their way at the moment. And Phoenix, I think, has just leapt, has leapfrogged um, the Sacramento Kings in ineptitude. And they, uh, they're top of the pile for me now, Daz. Well,
0: apparently the final straw was not being able to trade for a point guard. They've been trying to get a point guard. Uh, to the team to start the season, it wasn't able to happen. Uh, so Robert Sava decided it was time for McDonough to go, um, and I think it's a it's a classic example of the type of ownership you don't want in the NBA and how important ownership can be. Uh, so you just you can't have. Owners, and we've seen it in Minnesota. We've, of course, seen it a little bit in Milwaukee, uh, and we've seen it quite a bit in Phoenix where and, and, and New York, just to name a few sort of dysfunctional franchises, where we've seen the ownership sort of uh, get their fingers oh. on the basketball side of the business, and it just never ends well. They, they shouldn't, we, The two should never mix.
1: We probably under-discuss under it, to be honest, with Tillman Fertitta and suddenly his penny-pinching in... In Houston, we've talked mm-hmm. it ad almost ad infinitum. In Cleveland, right with Dan Gilbert, and had he had a different temperament or a different approach, you know that that entire franchise with the Cavs could have been different. We've talked about it with the massive upheaval in the Bus family and what happened when Mitch Kupchak fills the Bus family void and finds himself a Mozgov and a Deng and and Michael Jordan kind of you know leading the ownership group and 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 it's a it's a massive thing and this is a your spot on the Glenn Taylor and Robert Sarver completely stealing the headlines for for fan bases of teams who who absolutely deserve better than than what they're getting in in Minneapolis and in and I think GM.
0: you could argue at the moment it's more important than than GM because there's, with, the, with the GMs, I think there's so much knowledge there, and the, and the knowledge base of these teams is now so wide. I think the GM job has become a little bit easier. Where the GM job becomes impossible is when you have a meddling owner that, that, that doesn't know what he's doing from a basketball point of view.
1: Yeah, and, and any job, whether you're, a, I don't know, a nurse or a, an accountant or, you know, a, you know a, whatever, um, a builder... If you've got you know, paranoia and fear that your boss looking over your shoulder and with uncertainty, you never know when he or she is going to come and you know, lay the hammer on you for a decision that you've made, that, that will lead you to some really ordinary decision-making. And I, I think that given the timing of when this occurred, um, like what, eight days before the season's being tipped off, I think this is probably going to, in sort of retrospective and even a little bit at the moment, is going to sort of almost abdicate Ryan McDonough's series of really bad decisions and place it at the feet of Sarver. <clears throat> now, if Sarver had fired McDonough on the last day of the regular season, I think we ought to have said, yep, fair enough, mm. well done, mate. Hit, hit reset, your young Danny Ainge protege didn't work, and get yourself a fresh start and get yourself a new coach, and you just sort of fully lay this on McDonough. But to do what he's done here in early October is 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 borderline criminal in particular if you're igor Kokoskov, um the brand new uh, first-time coach who has a hard enough job trying to stitch together um trevor ariza tyson chandler and ryan anderson to a bunch of children right you know to the the jacksons and the bookers and so forth that job isn't hard enough in a vacuum you now have to be looking over your shoulder the same way mcdonough has been looking over your shoulder going huh my new boss how am I going to please him or her and is it going to work for them and what am I going to be out of a job and therefore will I coach differently? And so it is a, it is a domino effect of, um, of mistrust of what's going to be, you can't help but have a culture of self-interest when you do that where players, I can't imagine are going to be looking, uh, looking at the team outcomes and look out for themselves and, and trying to feed themselves, whether it's a new contract or, hitting their numbers and so that's my sort of final chapter on this domino is not only is that a very very difficult for for igor the new head coach now imagine what free agents around the world are thinking or around the league are thinking imagine what the players think of this imagine what the team thinks imagine what the likes of trevor ariza you know are thinking and how hard how, how hard is he going to try in you know december and january the grind when the team is 10 games under 500 he's on an expiring deal and and hoping to get a new contract, how much effort are Reeves going to be extending? And then what effect is that going to have on the rest of the roster? So the domino effect here is literally going to hit, I think, potentially every part of the, the basketball product as. And uh, that's why this this goes to the... Now you can interrupt my rant
0: here, Dan. Well, I think uh, you're being uh, ve- very generous to say there'll be 10 games under 500 around Christmas time. I think it might be a few more. Than that, yeah. it, it, well, it is, and it is similar to what the Knicks did, isn't it? I mean, they they allowed Phil Jackson to go through free agency, to go through the draft process, and then then fired him. Although I think oh, actually it was, wasn't long after the draft process. In fairness to the Knicks, this this was right through free agency, right through the draft process. He's built this team for this year, and then you fire him. So what 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 is the point? I just don't understand it. You, yeah. you cannot. You cannot yeah. uh, explain this to me at all, but this has been a dysfunctional ownership situation for a number of years. I mean, you, if you look at what Amir El-Hassan El has said the number of times on the SPN, he, he goes on constant rants. Charles Barkley's weighed in at different times. I mean, this is a pretty bad situation there in Phoenix. And um, uh, look, who knows who, they're gonna, who who who's going to take it on. I mean, he may as well take it on himself at this point because he's the one seemingly making all the decisions anyway. So what what is the point? Of, um, of bringing in someone else who's just going to be looking over their shoulder, uh, so it's a it's a bad situation, Daz. But we might leave the the Phoenix Suns there, and they no that we'll, we'll sort of watch from afar father train wreck that that season will become. Um, just quickly to touch on the Spurs again, um, not to go too too deep into this because we pretty much covered it last night. We we had a feeling that the Jante Murray was going to be done for the season. Um, but just to update my rankings. That sort of. To me, that pushes the Spurs outside of the playoff race. So I've now pushed uh, Denver in. But are you still of the view that uh, the Spurs can still sort of sneak in there on on the back of the infrastructure, I guess, the the Popovich coaching uh, genius?
1: Well, you know, I was was very – I was, like, sneakily high on the Spurs this year, right? Um, Had them as my – pegged as my number four seed in the West. And I suppose as the – pardon me, as the day is worn on and let this settle – and sort of uh, uh, let this settle with my mind and thought about it. Is um, no, as a short answer, I'm not as high on it. And I hope I hope that the the murmurings is just the murmurings of of idiots like us hinting that, as as you informed me earlier, that the murmurings of a you know seeking out a Jamal Crawford or a, a Jameer Nelson type of person or Jason Terry. He's also looking for probably looking also looking for another paycheck I hope that's just it's just mutterings of the Nerdarati of the NBA and not reality and that they um, they do give this uh I don't know some combination of you know Patty Mills will still get his enough run at point you know 15 20 minutes a game but maybe it's a combination of Bryn Forbes and Derek white stepping into the void um, unfortunately they don't have a, a player like Kawhi Leonard who can you know, do all the, the offensive initiation. They don't have um, Manu Ginobili, obviously, to state. Them. Well, I was
0: just going to say something there. Don't rule out Manu coming back for another season. Let me just throw that out oh, there for a second. Right. Let's. I, I would not rule that out. I think that's more in play than the, the Jameer Nelson, Jamal Crawford type signing. That they just go to Manu and say, "Look, Manu, just come back for another year. Just give us a little bit of playmaking off the bench. Just let, give us a setting influence." Off the bench, maybe they do start Paddy I just think the concern at San Antonio is Derek White's not ready to step up into that, that starting role yet. Um, you know, obviously his development is going to be fast track now, but uh, I think they'd like they they would much have preferred to have eased him into that role rather than just throw him in at the deep end for a team that, even though I've now got them outside of the playoffs, I think they'll be a playoff contender. Um, I don't think the difference between four to ten sort of seeds it it, it might be you know three or four games. that's that's how close it's going to be? Yeah. think, in the West, so you, you're going to be throwing a young kid and and well. Youngish kid um, into uh, that sort of a, a situation, expecting yeah. uh, might be a bit much. So, uh, d- just watch this space. I'll, uh, because Manu made the decision very late uh, in the piece that he wasn't coming back. So, you know, and he's been at, at, at Spurs workouts. He's he's been part of the coaching staff, um, sort of on the uh, on the fringes of the coaching staff. So he's been around the team. Uh, wouldn't it all surprise me to see them them tap him on the shoulder and say? how bad? it, why do you come back for another year um, and then have a bit of a farewell tour as well, even though I'm sure they wouldn't case it as such. Obviously, that would be his last season. So we'll watch that with the Spurs. And look, I'll say the final point on that is... If Popovich can get this team to forty-seven wins and sort of sniffing fifty wins, I think we can shut down the debate about who the greatest coach. Um, certainly, of the modern era, is um, it, it's, I think it's already Popovich. But he would just sort of stand himself alone, I think, above everyone else if he's able to push this team just uh, past the forty-seven win mark.
1: Two, two, two final points or two reactions. I guess one is back to Manu, perhaps the the most. Um, The most telling signal might be, if has he gone the Paul Pierce route of retirement and hit the Chick-fil-A and, you know, Boston pizza lines and got himself a double chin in the first few weeks? Or has he gone the the Steve Nash way where he's, you know, off creating master classes and coaching national Olympic teams? So we'll see which path, you know, Manu's taken the Nash path or say the the Steve, um, um, Steve Nash or the Paul Pierce path. And just her, his physical fitness.
0: Well, I'll tell you um, what, Tim Duncan's still at workouts at San Antonio, and and, the, and they're showing videos of him working out with some of the young guys. He could still play 10, 15 minutes a night. That's in the NBA. Well, I'm convinced of it.
1: I reckon Tim 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 Alzheimer's. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Timmy Duncan could probably get Alzheimer's and you know waddle <laughs> into the locker room in a uh, sucking his thumb in his bathrobe, and they'd have to usher him back to his you know, back to his car and we wouldn't know the difference because it looks like, you know, Timmy from 2002. So, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I guess my, I guess the, the final point I was going to say is that uh, it'll be hard to, um, to get enough volume and enough groundswell if, you know, for pop for uh, Coach of the Year, given the, um, the sheer veracity, tenacity and insanity of the Brad Stevens fellatio, um, the greatest coach of all time language that's you know being shouted at us from every corner of NBA nerd Daz. So I might even jump on your bandwagon and and help you with that getting back on the pulpit, you know, fighting for pop in terms of getting coach of the year votes <laughs> again. But uh, um, my last sort of half segue back to the first story is uh, perhaps something we also under discuss. <clears throat> again, is um, it lost in the world of analytics and the loss in the world of you know, um, draft analysis is well. We do lost in that sort of that that narrative is around the organizational cultures and environments in which players grow up in. And just think about where if DeAndre Ayton had been drafted by the Boston Celtics, right? Say where Jalen Brown or uh, right or Jason Tatum were drafted, but now uh, DeAndre Ayton's going to have to grow up. You know, in the cesspool of the Phoenix Suns, and just we can never know the counterfactual. But let this moment, let this uh, Ryan McDonough um, era, the Robert Sarver, Sarver era, let it let it be sort of the constant reminder that when we get into our arguments about you know who's the greatest player of all time, sorts of stuff, and we point towards points per game and titles and things like that as as indicators of the ultimate success, that we are completely we're half blind if we don't acknowledge you know the fates of some players are sealed by the environments that they grow up in and that we should try to you know now that we've got this beautiful medium to capture the full full discussions around you know places the players grew up in that their context their team their ownership their culture um plays a significant role so just yeah. a more more of a nerd reminder that you got DeJounte Murray drafted in San Antonio I reckon he's going to be treated different than if he was drafted in you know, uh, in Phoenix, and, um, and just well, consider, and that, that's why much. I
0: worried about and That was one of the points I made last night when I said I was a bit worried about him. It's not even about his personality as much as it's about the environment he's in and and just the tendency and some of the bad tendencies he has. And we've talked about it a number of times with Carter Williams and and what he went through in in Philadelphia. I yeah, think sometimes it, it brings out the worst in some in players. Um, in terms of the bad habits that they might bring to the table. It just allows them to ex- exacerbate them if they're not held accountable in a, you know, in, in a stable franchise. Um, I think that that can happen. It's certainly been happening at Phoenix now. So what we'll do, Daz, we'll, we'll leave it there for, for a second. I'm just going to throw back to our uh, conversation from last night. We talked about Utah and New Orleans, um, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about OKC Houston and Golden State uh, for this season. Let's move on next. Another team that we've got a massive disagreement on, Daz, is you've got the Utah Jazz down at number seven, and I've got mm-hmm. them as high, up as high as number three. Now, I'll give you my quick case. This, this was the best team in the NBA once Rudy Gobert, from a regular season point of view, once Rudy Gobert returned last year. Um, now, they haven't lost anyone of note. Uh, they've actually added Grayson Allen in the draft. I think Grayson Allen's going to play for this team. I think he's going to contribute for this team. Uh, and I just I don't, I don't see it from your point of view. Like I understand your argument, I guess, is around the offence and the fact that it's 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 Donovan Mitchell and a bit of a drop-off um, to the next best player offensively, but that that was no different last year. I, this is a team, this is sort of the, the, the way the Spurs used to be, this is a team that's going to execute you to death, and they're going to come in, they're going to bring the effort and intensity every single night, they're going to be... If not the best defensive team in the league, one of the sort of top three, along with Boston, Philadelphia teams like that, um, I just I don't see where the drop off is going to come from for this team. I just think they, you know, barring injury, I just think they're going to be as good as they were after Gobert came back in the regular season last year.
1: Yeah, look, again, I sort of was on the assumption that these teams are probably going to be bunched together, like they were last year which was, what three games separated and three well, and the three seeds. Well, and that's one, probably
0: where I said earlier where so, no disrespect yeah. to Portland, but this this is no disrespect to Utah.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I guess I was probably just going a little bit like they're a little bit Indiana-like I in me where I just think everything kind of went right for them last year, right? Everything sort well, of went no, right. Really and really I go, because
0: Gabe went down injured for what was it, nearly 30 games.
1: Yeah. Look. Okay. So, so that's yeah. That's fair. I guess what I mean by, but the sum total of things that could go right and the things that could go wrong. Every team has injuries. I'm just sort of like this. Everything just sort of, it sort of popped with with Mitchell. Um, Ingles c- continued to just disprove everyone that he should. If he doesn't pass the eye test and read the stat sheet, because you know that guy can flat out fucking shoot the ball like nobody's business but i just sort of was going are they relying a lot on this favors go bear combination i go they really want to trot that out again for another year and will they really get the best of jay crowder wasn't he just a guy who sort of got you know saved by the bell and you know extricated from an awful situation and has got a bump in you know sort of a bump in adrenaline just not being in cleveland and you know why is Ekpe udo back on the team and can cephalosa pull it out again i just sort of felt like there's a lot of built-in assumptions around the players who we would have had genuinely a year ago. Significant questions about contributing. So I don't want to discredit Quinn Snyder. I don't want to discredit the, the defense, and that's fair enough. Defense does travel. This team is almost never going to get blowed out. Um, Blow it out. Never, <laughs> you know, Donovan sits. They're not going to get blown out in this Donovan sits. And again, I don't know where the points come from when Donovan sits. So that for me is also this is the combination of a lot of question mark guys. Are We're relying on them to answer the bell yet again this year, you know, in, in sort of the twilights of their careers. And Donovan is transcendent. But I go, they just have literally no second scoring option. If Donovan doesn't play, I mean, that is a that is a brutal, brutal team to watch on the offensive side of the court. You know, it's like Indiana without Oladipo, you know, Utah without without Mitchell. So I go, if even if he lost, he missed his ten games, they're going to be Oladipo like you know two and eight. And so that's for me, Daz. It's not any, it's not any anything disparaging about Quinn or I like Grayson Allen. He's a nice pick, but the West is brutal. The Lakers are going to be, you know, they're going to be a, you know a factor. The Pelicans, I think, are still going to be probably about the same as last year. Um, Denver's an offensive juggernaut. with probably a little more upside, I think, than Utah. So, this again is probably a team who's going to win forty six, forty seven, and they're going to be a painful, painful out in the in the playoffs. But just in terms of regular season seeding, I had them just down, just down a tick here at, at at number seven.
0: Yeah, now I've got. I think they'll be keeping pace with Houston and Golden State for quite a bit of the season. That's wow. And I, I think Exum's going to have a big year. Uh, I think Alec Burks I don't think that was a fluke last year I think he's going to be good again this year and I, they, they go deep though. So, and I guess the one thing they've got to not do is leave Mitchell on an island and just sort of leave it all on Donovan Mitchell um, my only concern on this is Mitchell's style of game and how durable is he going to be as, as his career goes on because we've seen this type of player before Daz and invariably, and what I mean by that is, is the guys that can contort themselves, and you go, How did they finish that at the rim? and you look at the, all the look at the Brandon Roys, Kyrie's now got problems, Derek Rose. He remo- and someone said what he did last year was actually not dissimilar what Derek Rose did in his MVP year. And it was actually when you, when I thought about it, I thought, Actually, there's there's a lot of similarities there, I think, between their games. And we've seen mm. what's happened with Derek Rose, so I'd, I'll be interested to see what Utah do if there is a concern there about his style of game and we love watching it but is it going to be sustainable going forward and is there going to be any other any sort of kinks that they bring into that game to just say look let's start looking after your body a bit as you get a bit older in the NBA I think that's something that's something to keep an eye on because as I say we've seen this style of player before and we've seen them break down it's a little bit of a concern that I have for for a guy that's probably my favourite player to watch in the NBA. Yeah, I think that's a fair question, but I, I'm probably not worried about that until it actually happens,
1: right? He's just that's a, it's he he is a he's a fearless fly everywhere sort of player, but um,
0: well, have we seen anyone I, like I, that I, have a, a, apart from maybe Westbrook, I guess, just go through their career and not not get any sort of injuries in recent times?
1: Yeah, I guess he plays you know like, even Isaiah uh, Thomas uh, Iver- has
0: had the issue, issues.
1: Iverson, like. You know, Mitchell's just much more. But Mitchell's just much more rugged. He's a, he's more Russ, West, Russ Westbrook muscly, right? He's mm-hmm. not, he's not. You know, D, D Rose is pretty. He's pretty in pretty good shape. But look, fair, fair question. We'd be we're looking into the crystal ball here to, to try and put any sort of finer point on it than you know, the play at that level of reckless abandonment. I'd just you're, be interested to hear a sports yeah.
0: science point of view and, and whether there, there is any discussion about that. And is is that style of game sustainable across a long-term career in the NBA? Um, I think it's an interesting question and, and a one yeah. to watch yeah. in terms of where his his play goes from here. Let's move on, Daz, to the New Orleans Pelicans. We've both got them at five. Um, now, this is a team that uh, Julius was the big. Um, off-season uh, player that they bought in. Uh, you know that I'm, uh, I'm a bit higher on Alfred Payton. We'll see what he does this season. Um, and obviously Boogie Cousins didn't come back uh, for this team. This is a team that's just going to be an absolute um, it's going to be a track meet. You talk about Denver playing fast pace; these guys are going to play even faster. And did you see the um, quickly another sign they made was Loga for who looked very svelte and very good in the um, only pre-season game he took part in. And then unfortunately injured his ankle. So he's out for a little bit of time. But uh, he might be a guy to just watch out for um, as playing a few minutes here and there for this team. It could contribute. But I'm pretty high on, on the Pelicans. And I I think even though we've got ranked high ranked the same, I, I feel like I'm a, maybe a little bit higher than what you are. But they are going to be a fun team. To watch, and I just think playing that sort of fast-paced style, they're going to pick up a few wins, particularly if you're not quite ready um, to play at that pace in the regular season.
1: Yeah, I think that the whole world is on the um, on the bump from you know that fascinating and exciting demolition of Portland, which we're not going to forget anytime soon. And their competent play, you know, for for multiple quarters against Golden State, they they should have won two games. Against the Warriors, right? You know, they 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 played. They definitely weren't in the same class, but I think for a quarter or even a, you know sometimes almost a game at a time, you know, when they got it clicking, you know, they could put enough pressure on them defensively and just put the and you know put the lotion in the basket quick enough, you know, um, to to give themselves a the belief that this team is on the on the precipice. What I think. <laughs> I think we're actually underestimating. Um, so why well, I'm a little bit just just holding on by, you know, uh, with my fingernails with this team is uh, the drop-off between Rajan Rondo uh, and, and Alfred Preyton in terms of IQ is Albert Einstein to Homer Simpson. Oh, I disagree. It is,
0: it... I totally disagree. Look, Rondo in the playoffs maybe, but not in the regular season. This is why they didn't bring Rondo back. He, he couldn't care less about the regular season.
1: Yeah, but why would New Orleans care about the regular season? And so you're going to argue that Alfred praton is a, a heady a heady floor general who's going to pick but up... But I don't
0: think... I think Rajon Rondo is one of the most overrated players in the NBA.
1: <laughs> he's rated where he's at. He, he played excellent basketball in the playoffs last year.
0: He played good he for, did the same for maybe four, five, six games.
1: The five most important games of the season, right?
0: Well, no joke. You don't. You
1: don't remember what he did in February. Who cares what he did in February, right?
0: Give me a guy go, that's going to play more than six games and, and win the national two. Great You got a, You
1: got Alfred. You got Alfred Payton. then. so I go. If if you're going to tell me that, pick your, pick your metric. Pick, pick your metric. You're going to do win share, You want to do per. You to, Alfred Payton going to outperform Rajon Rondo. You can pick your metric, and I'll, I'll bet money on it. So I got kind of to go. That's that's going to be a drop off, right? Um, so however you want to categorise it, regular season, postseason, cultural, uh, ball My thing, IQ. I don't
0: think it's going to be a drop-off in the regular season. I really don't. I think right. come playoffs, yes, okay, give me playoff Rondo. We'll do a trade then. I'll take playoff Rondo over Peyton. But in the regular season, I, I think if anything, Peyton's going to be a slight, slight uptick.
1: Wow, then maybe you've been in the film rooms with the um, the outstanding coaching staffs of the, the Phoenix Suns and the Orlando Magic on this clown car of a player, and you're going to be on Alfred Payton Island. Good, f- go for it. All <laughs> oh, 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 all yours, buddy. Um, and look, did they address the other question? Right? Did they address enough of their of their depth issues? Right, which was which which was an issue last year and has been pretty much since. Anthony Davis has been there. And yeah, okay, Jaliluka for nice story. If he makes it as a third big in plays, you know, 600 minutes this year, I think that'd be a win. A shame he tweaked his angle, but, you know, he might even be playing behind Chek Diallo at this point. Now, they think the team probably expects a little bit from Frank Jackson, who seemed to break his arm or break his wrist, you know, a few times last year. I don't know what happened with him, but they're probably expecting a little bit from him this year. Julius Randle, I guess that was the big signing, quote-unquote, of the offseason. I guess he does boogie-like things. I don't know. I think it was probably a good value contract. I just don't know. Why do you want a non-sort of spacer, non-defensive player like that? You know,
0: doing boogie things is much, much worse than boogie. Well, I think it might be a bench unit unit scorer as well. Yeah, bench unit scorer. Yeah. The offense ticking over. And then I go
1: I would have much rather they go after a Tyreek Evans than rather than a big, a big loser well, like that. They, but
0: they've experienced the Tyreek Evans ex- Evans um, era. I,
1: well, exactly. right? I thought but, you know, idealized last year's Tyreek or what they mm. Indiana thinks they're getting with him. So I didn't. I thought it was good value in terms of the contract. I just don't know about his fit. Um, I don't know what we saw from Ian Clark last year. I suppose they're still expecting a lot more from Solomon Hill this year, who theoretically should still be able to play some. Some some wing minutes um, and relief, you know the Darius Morrises of the world. And um, look, I love um, I love Miritich's fit next to Davis, and love Davis at the five. And um, I think that's a fucking brilliant pairing if Miritich can stay healthy, and they both can. But I just think there's enough question marks here. Um, Drew Holiday took his took his game to the next level. I thought in the playoffs. And probably maybe that made us pay more attention to what he was doing all season, rather than it being some sort of ascension that he made in the playoffs. I think it was like a holy shit, this is maybe this is the real Drew Holiday. So I think they've got to be thrilled with how he's developed if for one of the most panned contracts of that off season. He certainly shut everyone up, hasn't he, so far mm-hmm. through the first year of it. So um, I think that's got to be making the the AD watchers. Feel at least pretty good that that Drew is a looks like a decent running mate. Now we felt that way until um, uh, AD signed with Rich Paul, but um, I'll leave that for uh, another, another. Well,
0: it's another another time. Too. We, and, yeah. and so many teams rely on on injury free, but if if Holiday or AD go down for this team, it's going to get ugly. Sure, very yeah. very quickly. Um, so I think
1: they've done think- they've done pretty well. For again, we we widely panned Demp's for this roster. I think this still very well feels like, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the first time LeBron was there, it still feels like the, it's hard to make the whole greater than the sum of the parts. But I think considering where they were, they've done pretty well, right. To, to get boogie and then deal with that severe injury. And then to get mirror titch and, you know, find perhaps some, some by low candidates in, in, in Alfred Payton and Randall, you know, with a bit of youth and a bit of upside. So, all things considered I think they're doing okay. And look, this is a team not poised to make a run deep in the playoffs, but is it gonna be a team that's gonna be fun and they've got enough I guess enough interesting parts, hopefully to keep, you know, the wear and tear on eighty, you know, down to a you know, thirty five or so minutes a game. You just hate to see him playing 38, 39 a game and trying to drag a you know, a forty five win team just that hard. So
0: Yeah, I think the second um, round's probably the their ceiling again, Um, and I guess it would be interesting to see uh, how they'd go against the Houston, because we've seen the Golden State movie with this team too many times, they can't get over that hump, Um, and there's no reason to expect they will this year. Okay, Des. Welcome back. So we're going, to, we're going to move now to Oklahoma City. So we're really talking about the top three seeds um, in the. Now I've got Utah as the three seed, but I think Utah and, and OKC okay, are pretty even. You had Utah down at seven, but I, again, I don't think there's a massive difference in your opinion between sort of OKC okay, and so Utah. It's just sort of where you ended up having them ranked. I, I mean, I think it's fair to say, that you had that that sort of cluster of teams, say three through seven. You know, there might be one or two games difference at the end of the season. You wouldn't be overly shocked with any of them. I wouldn't be shocked with, with OKC. Okay. So I think their ceiling is they can keep pace with, with Golden and stay in Houston from a regular season point of view. And I think they've got a pretty high floor as well. The only little bit of a concern I have is, I guess, they're not going to start the season with Russell Westbrook because he's uh, he's out injured right at the moment. So that's a little bit of a concern, I think. Um, from their point of view, because they may not be able to hit the ground running um, with with Dennis Schroeder running the show rather than Russ.
1: Well, that and um, I'm not sure if you've seen it, Daz, but this came through probably in the last 24 hours as well as um, Andre Roberson. Roberson is behind schedule. He's been hurt again. And I, I, I thought I read, and you might be in front of the computer there, um, which makes for great radio, as we actually <laughs> Googled the information as we're we're trying to talk about it. But I think Roberson is out for mm, six to eight weeks, and I'm my I could be misremembering that, and conflating that with um. So my point. So back to our conversation around um, conference rankings, and with DeGente, um being hurt and um, and Roberson being hurt, I'm starting to rethink my. I guess, my evaluation a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, quickly what there. So, mm.
1: so my argument for, if you see my sheet for, for OKC, as I thought, uh, not not a hot take here, but a, a bit of addition by subtraction, not having to worry about, about Carmelo anymore and trying to play a little bit your turn, my turn. That plus the um, Dennis Schroder reprising the Reggie Jackson role to help alleviate the god-awful plus-minus that occurs when Russ actually sits for a minute. So actually, I think it was an underrated kind of um, upside move um, getting shorter and of course obviously the goodwill and perhaps a bit of the you know brotherhood part two that Westbrook and Paul George now with um, PG being locked in for the long term now and they're just now clearly kind of I don't want to say co-leading this will always be Russ's team but that's a phenomenal one-two punch still I don't care if you're in the west or the east that's still a great one-two punch so I thought with Roberson and a healthy Steven Adams, and those two guys. I'm like, that still has the makings of a absolutely a top five, if not a top three defense. And I thought with a little more bench scoring punch and roll clarity, I had them pegged as the number three team. But I probably would be waffling on that now if Roberson you know, is is off, the change of their rotations, change their defensive toughness. We saw what that did for them at the end of the season last year and in the playoffs. So um, oh, I think that could. I floor- mean, if
0: he's out for longer term too... Uh, And, I mean, the other problem is if you don't have a pre-season, it's very difficult to sort of hit the ground running when you do take the court. Um, And we talked about DeJounte Murray and, and, yeah, third-year player and you might, outside looking in, might not think he's that important. But it's, it's amazing how you take one piece of the puzzle out of this team. We saw Golden State struggle when Andre Iguodala went out last year. Sometimes it's just that balancing act of one player comes out, particularly in a competitive conference like the West is going to be. Where, and we saw it last year when Roberson went out. Like, if, if he's out longer term, this team's ceiling does drop a little bit. I still think they've got the high floor, to your point about the Westbrook, Paul George. So I still think they're, they're clearly a playoff team in that sort of 6-7 range, maybe, though, if, if Roberson doesn't get back to his best rather than pushing up in the 3-4 range.
1: The thing for us, right, is the, the thing we talk about every year is where do they have perhaps some untapped upside on your role players or younger players. And that's where perhaps we, um, where I was also getting optimistic was the flashes we saw from Terrence Ferguson, or could he be, you know, an athletic disruptive player. They got uh, grant back, which I thought was a nice contract. And he had a nice, he had a nice spurt in the, in the off, uh, sorry, in the playoffs as well. Showed some real metal, didn't he playing defense in particular. And so I, I thought those two players and, um, there's someone... And well, there's Orleans Noel
0: as well. They bought in, so we'll yeah. see if, if he can. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's a little bit of Stephen Adams' insurance as well. But it also means that if Adam's sitting and they wanted to stay big, um, that that he can yeah. come in and take and take some minutes there.
1: Thank you. It, it was Orleans, That's right. Where right? There's a guy who um, is absolutely kicking himself for his now well well documented turning down that four year, seventy million dollar extension, backing himself. And that failed awfully, and he did not handle that well, getting relegated to the doghouse under Carlisle. So talk about a guy who hopefully has ate a gigantic dose of humility and will be so supremely motivated, right? Like I imagine the nerlands Noel almost having Thon Maker in the playoffs-like tenacity, just to try and fucking swat everything and be everywhere, um, to do his best his best effort to kind of get himself uh get himself noticed to get a, another contract or at least a multi-year contract after this season so a confluence of defensive upside a bit of tenacity with with Nerland's um, also Dennis Schroeder we'll see what he's made of I think he's got probably copped a lot of bad press for you know his inability to lead and take a leadership posture and, and, and role with that with that Hawks team so he might have a chip on his shoulder and who knows to so either step up and you know, tip the best parts of Russ and take the challenge, or, and we'll see if he does that. So I just had this that, all the confluence together, going shit. If Billy Donovan pulls the right strings and they, they get some role clarity, that's a, that's a dangerously athletic, and defensive-minded team that could just, you know, again, I love your phrase, defense travels. That could that could go on the road really well, and you do that enough, and you got your makings of a, 52-55 win team, hmm. um, with with the the scoring punch of obviously Russ and Paul George. So. So anyway, that, I'm just remembering my my case for OKC at number three. Robertson does probably, boy, almost put me in a tie now. I probably have to drop San Antonio, maybe bump um, Utah up into San Antonio's spot. But um, in general, injuries aside, I I, I like I like where OKC is at. Daz.
0: Yeah, look, I, I like the, what they've built. I think Newlands well is a perfect player to fit into this system. I think re, you're basically replacing uh, Grant and and. And mellow, and I know Grant was there last year, but obviously, Grant's going to take some of those mellow minutes. Um, and, and I'm not sure who's going to sort of come off the bench at this stage, maybe Ferguson will take some minutes off the bench as well um, in terms of who comes into the games, and, and obviously Schroeder we're going to see how they integrate him uh, with Russ as well, so the, the, the lineups are going to look a little bit differently but when Robeson was there, they were certainly a top four team in the West last year, it was only when Robeson got injured that their defence fell away a little bit uh, and, and Melo completely fell away towards the end of the year and so did Paul George's play, so You'd hope you're going to get more uh, a more consistent season out of Paul George this year and a little bit of upside in, in um, the offensive side of the game when, when Schroeder comes on. And maybe, you know, Russ doesn't have to play as many minutes and we'll see how Schroeder and, and Russ can share the court together. So I, I think there are some good signs. Look... We'll see when when Roberson comes back. Hopefully he's back by uh, well before Christmas would be the hope. And I mean they'll certainly be able to stay afloat by then. And then um, you know a lot of this is going to come down to as at the end of the season you're going to look back on schedules. And I haven't sort of studied the schedules that closely yet. But it's going to be important, isn't it, for a team like OKC if you've got a hard schedule to start the season. Russ is out. Roberson's out and then you get your easy part of the schedule when they sort of come back, it's, it's probably not going to work out very well. I mean, you you'd probably prefer to obviously start the, with, with the easier games. When you've got a few injuries, get your best team back on. So I think this playoff race is going to be so close. Little things like that, like getting a hard part of the schedule when you've got a couple of niggling injuries and guys aren't on the court, is going yeah. to be very, very decisive. And I know, you know they, they start out with Golden State. Um, I haven't looked too far further beyond that in terms of um, OKC's schedule but you wouldn't want to be starting um, with a super hard schedule with, with Russ out and now with Robeson out uh, for the first two months of the year uh, so <clears throat> I think that they're going to be certainly a term to watch Let, Let's, but I guess best case scenario is is for them, they stay afloat a few games above 500 and then Roberson's back and we see the fully idealised version of what Donovan will be planning. And just final point, I think there is a little bit of pressure on Westbrook this year just from the point of view of I still feel like within this franchise there may be some questions about is this guy the long-term guy um, for our franchise. So I think that's still a question um, to be answered. Uh, at some stage this year and we'll, we'll see how things go Um okay so we might move on just just, yep.
1: just my just on that let's say the last point I was going to build on was I'm from a um, from a fan perspective I'm I'm starting to look for for Russ to show the world show his teammates that he can be more than you right uh, Superman with the ball in his hands and um, Hunting for cheap assists and rebounds. I'm wondering, can he start to? Does he have the humility, and the ability, and the desire to start to modify his game, whatever that means. If that means more of a playmaker, what means more of a playing off ball, maybe with shooter, and, and attacking differently, maybe you know actually passing off the dribble, right, rather than it's uh, you know these uh, assist hunting or shooting himself. that's used can he? Can he drive and dish with more effectiveness of the air? Just do little things that show he can, you know, be a better teammate and better leader. That's where to your question. That's that's how I'd be looking at the lens. Is he the right guy? Is he here not only long term? Meaning, does he actually want to go live in Los Angeles? But but can he prove to be? Can he prove to learn from the Durant era of your turn, my turn? Can he prove? Sorry, there's a Harvey Davidson <laughs> zooming right up next to me. So
0: I'll get still here.
1: <laughs> well, that but that the, was the
0: question as I asked. I mean, I said, yeah, you said that Donovan might be the guy that's under pressure, and I said, well, it's not that Russ is under pressure, but I think if it goes the same way as it went last year, it wouldn't surprise me at the end of this year if they say, we're going to move on from Russell Westbrook. We're not going to move on from Billy Donovan.
1: Wow. I don't know about that because Russ, Russ means far more to that franchise than... You know Blake, well and- I think
0: he is what he is though I mean, at the end of the day I, I don't see that he's going to change I think it, it's going to be he's going to be doing the same thing so yeah and, it, and it's a contract that's that's obviously what's he there now another it will be another four years uh, so you know yeah good luck no, I just I can't I,
1: it's something spectacular' Earth- Unexpected would have to happen, in my view, for that for that to occur. Because don't don't underestimate, right? That Russ still believes he's probably the best player in the league. Like he believes he can destroy, you know, Curry and and um, and Clay. He genuinely believes that. Hell, there's there's possessions and quarters where he's right. Yeah, about but Daz, it's
0: not a one-on-one game. We're not we're not I, in I a know. one-on-one comp- competition here. We're in a that, five-on-five. So that and that's yeah, what I he needs know, to understand. Yeah,
1: yeah but that's what I guess what I'm I'm I just um. How do you sell to a fan base that a player like this, if the, the guy who has stayed, right? I know it wasn't Harden's choice to get Dumpy. He, he wanted, I guess, he did want his own team, and obviously KD. What KD did, what KD did, but I cannot imagine this fan base accepting a fate like that because um, he's not in this. He's not in this. The phase of his career that D Wade was when D Wade.
0: Yeah. yeah but, well, let's see what happens yeah. if he shoots forty-six times again in the in the elimination game, and they they crash out again.
1: Maybe we're saying the same thing. I guess I'm just I I think I have higher confidence in his ability to bond, both on the court and off the court, and set an example with Paul George. Now that his both of them are locked in long term, and I go, I have confidence that it's more possible than before. I'm not saying it's a certainty, but we've seen we've seen incremental improvement right but from guys like DeMar DeRozan who we thought we knew exactly who he was and guess what in year 9 of his career he changed he changed some things he changed his usage he changed the spots on the floors he started taking you know different shots so he got some coaching and I go maybe Russ is wired differently than DeMar maybe Russ is wired differently than any one I of us He
0: definitely is
1: right and but I that's I guess what I'm saying I don't know what those things are but and maybe we're in violent agreement here. Is I'd want to be seeing, I want to see signs that he can be a teammate, whatever that means. Yeah, usage dropping, um, no more rebound hunting, no more of this bullshit. You know, we're, we're all there. We box out so Russ can get it and go. You know, rubbish. You know, making the team all about him. Let's let's see. Wow. Um, I'm not saying it's a certainty, but I. Um, I'd, I'd give it
0: heart about heart. a two percent chance.
1: Yeah, I'm probably more in the. T- 15, it's not a high probability, but yeah, um, we'll see. I think if it was going to
0: happen, it would have happened by now, put it that way. So we'll we'll move on to the the top two teams. We've actually both gone uh, Houston as number one again in terms of regular season and Golden State number two. Um, Golden State, just quickly, obviously Boogie Cousins was the big addition for them. They also brought in uh, Janice Drebko, Jacob Evans was their draft pick. So that's a guy that they expect... Uh, to play a bit uh, Nick Young who didn't do much last year uh, is on, was on the way out uh, Omri Caspi as well and Patrick McCaw still hasn't re-signed really with this team obviously. I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out um, I get it's it's been interesting with Golden State as around the amount of people that are, are seemingly a little bit more confident to, to say I think Houston can come back at them again there's a lot of people talking about Boston over in the in the east, and there's a little few murmurings that if, if they it <coughs> off for Toronto, they can come in with this tournament. How vulnerable do you think this team is at the end of the day um, to being knocked off this year?
1: Not vulnerable at all. I think their vulnerability is is what we've all talked about. So I have no new takes, right? Which is why we're doing Golden State kind of last in our in the series, which is they're so ridiculously talented. They've been down this path before. The risk is boredom. The risk is sameness. The risk, I guess there will be, you know, we'll see, that you don't ever discount the possibility of, you know, um, personal battles or political battles, whether that's Katie versus Draymond or, you know, Clay wants to go, you know, start a Buddhist monk somewhere or or those sorts of things. You don't discount that possibility, right? And that's why I think Steve Kerr should get more credit than he probably will get credit as history you remember him, you know, in, in keeping the, you know, in in managing this team and keeping it on track. But when that's your most interesting story, Daz, and I go, that's you're grasping at something, right? That's
0: Well, that's I think human... it's interesting. I mean, the, the beat writers are, I've heard, they've sort of said, look, when, when they were challenged last year, they didn't necessarily respond. And I, when I heard that, I thought, well, I, I remember that completely differently. Like they, they responded in particularly in the third quarters, right throughout the playoffs. And Houston led in Game 6 and Game 7 by double digits at halftime in both of those games and were just completely overrun in the third quarters in particular in those games. So they've still got that on-off switch within the game that they can hit. My little bit of a concern for them is I think Draymond Green's offensive game has just completely fallen away the last couple of years and he didn't bring it on in terms of offence in, in the playoffs last year. He certainly upped his defensive intensity but his shot was still quite poor and this is a re- the bench has been getting steadily worse every single year and then they're learning more and more on these players and we've seen KD have some time off we've seen Steph have some time off I just wonder if there is going to be a breaking point where they're learning too much on those, as, as yeah. great as they are those sort of top four players where Iguodala and Livingston aren't the same players anymore either um, is there going to be a breaking point for this team and, and they've had all the injury luck of the last few years, is this going to be the year where it, where it breaks against them
1: Daz, your signal's breaking up, or I, I, I didn't hear you.
0: Sorry, so I was I saying, you can hear me. is is this the year where, where the injury risk breaks badly yeah. for them? I mean, are they leaning yep. too much now with we, such a poor bench? Iguodala and Livingston at a different stage of their career. Boogie's not probably back till December, January, um, and, and who knows what state he's going to be in. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think we're going to see... The best of Boogie Cousins. I'd be yeah. We might see it for one or two games, but I think you're kidding yourself if you've got high hopes for what Boogie Cousins is going to produce this season.
1: Yeah, and I, I think w- th- those are valid questions, but those those the sum total of those questions, I don't think materially materially impact a team. With again, w- if we, if we weren't stat chasing the last two years, where and they were healthy. You could make a very good case that right? Steph and Katie are, are equal up to being the league MVPs just about oh, every single yeah. season, right? Yeah. So I kind of just go, "You're you're right." And we've had this we've had this conversation every year now for for a number of years before Katie, Now certainly, certainly with him, and you know, this is just human nature. We're all just a little bit bored with it, and I think we're we're inventing, we're inventing and kind of grasping at where might we find a. Can We predict where the fracture will come or where some malaise will come, and I think so. Your questions are not invalid, and I think it reflects in you and I both going they're They're so crazily talented, but they need to rest. They'll have some role challenges if they do have a couple injuries. The bench does kind of suck, so they're probably not going to win seventy three. That's a certainty. They probably won't win sixty three. This team will be even a very know happy.
0: They'll get sixty. I think they'll be high fifties, maybe maybe touch yeah. the sixty win mark.
1: Yeah. And if Steph is Steph and he's healthy in April, she'll be right. And if KD is KD, man, it is they literally again. Aside from you know three amazing games, they're almost literally unguardable. And that goes to the other point where I like, think we'll agree: Houston will probably win more regular season games, but the the loss of Trevor Ariza and Luke Richard Bamute, um, will be easy to to overlook, but but shouldn't be overlooked. And I know we've, we've we've mentioned it multiple times that we that Daryl Mo, Daryl Morey deserves um, deserves a benefit of the doubt, but when he's if, he, if we are meant to believe that James Ennis is you know replaces eighty percent or ninety percent of Trevor Ariza, um, then okay maybe we'll all be we'll all be proven wrong, um, but I think their lo, their la, their lack of and lost amount of defensive versatility with those two guys is. Is for me the greatest concern, compounded with the fact that I think all of our confidence levels in Chris Paul remaining healthy hmm. and being as disruptive as he was in the backcourt against Golden State is you know continually just perilous, right? As he as he ages in that the most infamous hamstring injury in the history of the league from last year. So that's my segue to go. I think I think Houston will win more games in the regular season because Golden State will have to pull it back, and I still I think. I fear that Houston's window is, if not closed, it's probably close to close unless they show us something that we just, we don't, um, we haven't seen yet. And I guess I leave open the possibility, Mm. as remote as it would be, that can Carmelo be a a 25-point-a-game scorer again just by playing the Ryan Anderson role? I, I don't
0: know. I think he's I, going I to be decent is, in the regular yeah. season from this point of view. I think he's going to yeah. win him a few games off his own bat because there's just going to be games where Melo brings it and he, he's hitting his shots. I mean, he was 3 of 6 the other day from 3 um, in one of the preseason games. Yeah. So I, I think there's going to be games where he winds the clock back a bit in his shots, but he, he's not a guy you're going to be relying on um, in the playoffs. And my issue with Houston is this was a team, and we've spoken about it before, they will build on defence. They're pretty much torn down the defence in many respects. You know, you've know, you got PJ Tucker, who's now entering uh, age 32, 33 season, so you wonder how, if he's going to be as effective as he was. Um, Chris Paul, there's the new sort of rules around um, defence, and Chris Paul's already struggled with that a little bit in the pre-season, getting called for some fouls. Um, we'll see if that continues on and if his defensive Um, prowess is is impacted in any way by those new rules which is essentially you can't touch a player, as if you haven't been following this you can't touch a player that's moving at all so guys going on back cuts, guys going around screens or anything like that if you touch them and bump them and do things like that it's going to be a foul on you now and we'll see how that plays out because that's that's one of the things that Chris Paul does uh, quite well Um, some of the off-ball defending that he does uh, and, and Houston as a team I think did that quite well against Golden State. So um, that's going to be an area to watch as well. And I just think the the problems that they gave Golden State were more on the defensive end than the offensive end. And I just don't think what they've done... I, I don't think they're the biggest threat to Golden State in the West. I think the biggest threat to Golden State winning the title comes from the East anyway. But I think actually the biggest threat in the Western Conference comes from Utah and OKC. Just from the point of view is I think they can stop Golden State scoring enough. Now, the question then flips back to the the other side of the ball for OKC and Utah. Can you score enough points to beat Golden State? I don't think either team will. But I, the first thing you've got to do is yep. stop this team and make it uncomfortable for them, Des. That's the, that's the key. You've got to make it uncomfortable. You've got to cramp them up. You've got to make them feel, oh, we don't have the room to move anymore. And I don't see Houston being able to do that. Um, with, with this iteration of the lineup, you know, and unless there's other moves that, that Morey can make that we haven't sort of seen yet,
1: yeah. So, I, I so I agree with everything you said. And from a regular season perspective, it sounds like we're both in agreement that Houston will finish above Golden State just in terms of record and fight for the one seed. Um, is that right? You had Golden State number two as well in terms of regular season. Is that right?
0: Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. Okay yeah, yeah. And I well but I think that, we're both also looking at potential Houston LA Lakers first round matchup days
1: that's my maximum drama that's right <laughs> it's like give me give me LeBron as an eighth seed um, you know reprising the role of um, the Sonics did that they did that one year uh, all those years ago um my last last random thought and it's this that this awful chapter isn't over but there'd been rumblings right that Houston's trying to find a way to get in on the Jimmy Butler. Um, situation if they found a way let's say around an eric gordon type of package and i don't know what else they'd have to include to actually make that a reality does mm-hmm. what was so let's say arguments sake harden butler and and chris paul um were, were a trio that was made reality in houston would that change your view of them now in the playoffs against golden state they match up better Is that something that would
0: move the dial? Well, Butler certainly does from the defensive point of view. That brings them now; they're back to more of a defensive team. Um, And Butler brings a a, a fair, a fair old offensive game along with him as well. And he's a guy that can spot up and shoot and doesn't necessarily need the ball all that much. It would also depend though: what are you giving up um, out of your current lineup? and Eric Gordon's not getting it done on his own, but maybe to Eric Gordon you know, and another team comes in and there's draft picks sort of going around, who knows what they might be able to pull off there and who knows how desperate Minnesota might get in the end to offload the Jimmy Butler contract. Um, it might even be a matter of where that trade gets done a fair way into the season and Minnesota are just like, well, we're only giving him up for six months or whatever it is, and Houston goes, well this is our title window, let's roll the dice, don't worry, even worry about re-signing him in the off-season, let's just go for it and see if we can win this title. So I think it is in play that he goes there, and if he goes there, you'd have to sort of see how it looks against Golden State, but I think it's, there's certainly a better chance with Jimmy Butler than, than without him.
1: Seven-game series, you roll the ball out in a neutral court. Does James Harden, Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, James Ennis, Clint Capella? do they... Can they win four games against the, the Warriors? I think they no. can, Daz. I think I think that's my jumping in to answer my own question. If if Chris Paul stays healthy, I think does that answer your question around?
0: I'm not convinced you... about James Ennis just yet. Oh, that's that's the guy. Oh, maybe you throw sure. PJ Tucker instead of instead of Ennis in, um, which actually well, makes sense right. in some in some ways. Yeah. Then you're talking okay. Now again you're making Golden State uncomfortable uh, defensively and offensively, um, you're probably better than what you were last year in terms of a five-man unit anyway. Yeah, that's what um, I think. Yeah. And, and, and you're talking about Golden State, well, they're not going to go you know, six, seven, eight guys. Houston will. So, I, I, yeah, you probably sold me on that. If I, if I throw PJ Tucker instead of, instead of Ennis, um, yeah, I, get, I, I think you'd have to lean, assuming health, you lean towards the towards Houston Rockets in that situation.
1: Want to hear my fantasy? Eric Gordon and Carmelo <laughs> Anthony go to Minnesota. <laughs> and Carmelo has to come off the bench behind Andrew Wiggins.
0: <laughs> oh, no. No, I don't anyway, think so.
1: Not even Carmelo deserves to play for the Timberwolves.
0: Well, it could happen. Nope. I mean, as I said, if if another team comes in and the draft picks go back, and who knows what, what they can... What they can bring, certainly, Gordon would be the the major piece going back to um, to Minnesota. From there, and that that hurts them offensively. It certainly doesn't hurt them much defensively. It's just a shame yeah. that there's not a young piece. Um, there for Houston that they could include that sort of looks like they're developing into a decent player and um, that's one of the shames of the D'Antoni system which I've ranted on a little bit just not giving enough guys a chance in the system to, to the develop and grow and, and being able to sort of put them in the shop window from time to time as well so we'll see how that plays out there so where do you see this so you, you've still got going stay at this stage obviously coming out of the West and um, and I think we both lent Toronto coming out of, out of the east. So let, let's put our, our um, you know, Nostradamus cap on, if you like, and, and look forward. How do you see that finals playing out? If we've got a fully optimised Toronto Raptors going up against uh, the Golden State Warriors. Is that, is that a sweep for the Warriors? How, how comfortable a win do you think that's going to be? Or, or can uh, Toronto make it an uncomfortable series for you? I'm
1: going gonna, I'm gonna to plead the fifth and I go, give, give me another 10 days. I haven't fully quite gotten my brain into that, that tournament mode. I've been so focused on you know kind of over unders and looking at you know sort of how the rosters are shaped out. So that's the greatest cop out I'm going to give you, Dad. So <laughs> I guess episode 64, I'll, I'll be ready for it. But I was still I, my question without notice for you is going to be: Did you have a in terms of the West and even in the East? If you want to wrap it up? Your you know your most comfortable over and your most comfortable unders, like your safest bet in terms of over-under in each conference? Did you want to have a quick – because I know we've talked a bit about that offline. Um, so who, who do you think, in terms of the prognosticators, who's your most comfortable over in the Western Conference? Who's yeah. going to far exceed what you think is being
0: – Oh, Utah. Utah for me, comfortable. You're
1: super high on Utah. I'm super yeah, high
0: on okay. Utah. I, th- I think they're going to keep, keep pace regular season-wise with Golden State and Houston. Um, and, I, and it wouldn't shock me if they stole the one seed just because I think it means a little bit more to them and I wouldn't be surprised to see Houston and Golden State just going, Look, we don't really care um, about the one seed. We just want to boot each other and particularly Houston would want to finish out of Golden State although I guess they probably wouldn't want the two, three seed to be in, in the semifinals either but I think, I think Utah are going to keep pace for a while. They kept pace with them once Gobert came back last year and um, what, what, their over-unders, are, I think, are 47 and a half. So I, I think they're, they're yeah. in advance of that. Yeah. Um, and in terms of unders, well, I think you've got to be looking closely at the Spurs now, as much as I hate to say it, uh, for an under. And I think Portland's probably a sneaky under bet as well um, in the Western Conference, Two terms I'm a little bit down on.
1: Yeah, OK. All
0: right. What about you, in terms of overs well, in the West?
1: It, interesting. I, the West is hard, right? It's hard to pick overs because you've got things like the injury risk and all the changing in the garden, changing players in Houston, all the Malays in Golden State. Um, so, but ironically, I actually think my hardest over is going to be Portland, even though I'm very low on them. I think their over-under was set too low.
0: It what is their over-under?
1: I thought it was 41.5. Oh, days.
0: okay. Well, if it's that low now, we're probably over yeah I think
1: over. it's I think it's pretty low it, It's dropped. you'd have to check it for me so I think um I'm actually hit the over on Portland even though I'm not high on them in terms of where they'll where they'll finish and I'm like I'm uh, uh, comfortable would be the wrong word but um I would put an under on the Lakers because their line was set fifty four and a half wasn't it fifty
0: three and a half Oh no I think it was forty eight and a half. No, uh, it, it was. Down. I thought the I
1: thought the Lakers were higher. Or anyway.
0: Well, we'll have to check that. I'm not, cause well, i not because I was. I've listened to a I few was, of the the pods. Yeah. Let me have a look here.
1: I thought it was in the fifties down, but um. But it's well, so crazy like it if just,
0: it's in the fifties. There's no way they, this, that team's winning fifty games.
1: Oh, right. Well, yeah. So that's the Lakers are my under. Um, so I could have, I could be mis misremembering where the line was set, but I was, yeah. Um, I'd never bet against LeBron LeBron in the playoffs, but I would bet against him um, in that team in the regular season.
0: Yeah, I agree. What about the Eastern Conference? Where's your you're over or under um, locks there?
1: Yeah, I, um, I think my i wanted to say. I wanted to say the bucks and that line came out at 47 and a half and moved up to 40, 48 and a half. And I go hard to put my money where my mouth is going with the bucks actually win 50. Like, I think they will be a lot better. Um, But that, that would probably, I think still set at a reasonable level. I think the bucks probably do get um, a pretty heavy over and I'm, I'm all in on the under on whatever the line is on the, on the wizards. That is a, did you hear the recent quote from John wall in the, the recent, um, I think it was a press conference after a preseason game. The, the the guys were trying to ask him the the reporters trying to ask him in a delicate way. You know, John Wall's looking a bit big and looking a bit puffy, and saying, "Oh, you know." So in the off season, he's trying these delicate ways to try and have that conversation with him and saying, "You know, you know, you, you know, off season, have you been have you been going out, you know, and enjoying yourself?" And here we are after a preseason game, and he goes, "Look, right." I'm young. I like to go out. You tell me you're you're my age. You wouldn't do the same thing. You're crazy. Uh, that's how we answered. That's how we answered. Effectively in that tone. So I'm uh, like John Wall, October the eighth is already super defiant about. Y'all ain't gonna tell me not to go fucking clubbing last night, y'all. And I go bang oh And that's your leader. That's your max contract.
0: Well, they're at forty-four and a half, does um... under. Yeah. Under. Well, I've got, uh, so the, the Lakers were at 48 and a half, um, it was, okay. and I'd probably right. still go the under there, but probably not as, as confidently, um, as, uh, as, as you might. Um, oh, I
1: thought it, I thought it opened at 51 or fifty and a half. and a half. That's so, okay. I think it's, I think it's dropped as maybe the world has hammered the under with, uh, with McGee, Stevenson, Rondo, and, and whoever else is there, um.
0: Well, the two the sure. two teams I'd pick on the two teams we disagreed on most in in the U. So My over would be the Charlotte Hornets, and my under would be the Cleveland Cavaliers. yes yeah. um, so that's right. That's there. right.
1: My over was Cleveland. I forgot about that. That was my heavy over. I, but I now have to rethink because they've got um they've got a pick protection, don't they, this season,
0: which leads With me to Corver believe trade, that if that's right,
1: that's right from the Corver trade. So I I did factor into my calculus when I was. Smashing the over, so that's my that's my complete blind spot there. But now I can see the, the the path where you were hinting at, which was if things don't go well early, that team could go into tank mode very 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 fast to keep their pick. Well, don't uh, sleep
0: would... on this from Cleveland. Don't sleep on the Cavs saying we're going to feature Kevin Love heavily in the first 20 games of the season, get him averaging 25 and 12. And G, putting up big numbers, and then trading him, just like the Clippers did with with Blake Griffin last year, I, I, yeah, think that's, o- I think that's absolutely in play.
1: You know who's got a spot for him? Phoenix Suns. <laughs> Put him next to Ayton, There you go. There's your four for the future. Give up a, a Bridges and a Reza. There you go. That sounds like a Phoenix move.
0: Oh well, just and quickly on Charlotte, player the watch: Miles Bridges. Uh, has looked really, really nice in um, in pre-season and already had what I think might be the dunk of the year in a putback dunk um, in his first game uh, against the Boston Celtics. So I'm I'm even hired as on the Charlotte Hornets. Um, that was a fun is.
1: that was a fun dunk. Um, so he's in, he's in the lead, you know, before the season goes off. But um, my money's on Dennis Smith this year. I just have a feeling with Luca with the ball in his hands being a maestro. And Dennis playing a little more off ball, being able to do athletic things. We saw his crazy, right, um, you know, bounce the ball to himself dunk last year. I think, um, but obviously Giannis dragging his dick over the, you know, over Tim Hardaway. I was going to say, space. Giannis
0: has got a few more That's, tricks up his sleeve, I'm sure he yeah. does. Um, I,
1: yeah, I don't know how Giannis is going to top that one. So my money was on Dennis Smith this year, who uh, I think he's going to do something crazy. Um but uh, I was going to say Lonnie Walker might get a highlight reel as well, but uh, if he's got a... Well, you've had some bad knee, knee injury luck Well, it's
0: only the time, six, but... six to eight weeks for Lonnie, but I, I think Lonnie's going to go to the G League anyway would be my guess. I think if, if you're going to see Lonnie Walker at the Spurs, it's going to be January, February. Um, they'll, they'll bring him in. I don't think they'll be throwing him in at the deep end either um, in San Antonio. But I, I think we'll see him at some stage, but yeah, six to eight weeks certainly. Um, and that's that, I think that was a... That was an optimistic timeline. I don't think he'll be back that quickly either. Um, even and, and and when he comes back, to my point earlier, that they will be going to the G League rather than the, the Spurs. But we do hope to see Lonnie Walker and um, obviously the Lonnie and, and Dante. Lonnie's still three for three in the pre season, and Dante one for nine. Does. So that's where we stand at the moment with the Dante DiVincenzo v Lonnie Walker debate. Um, do you
1: want to you want to hear the best the best Midwestern preseason story ever is the Bucks played um, the Timberwolves last night. They won. And you and I were reading the stat lines on this. It was 125-107. The game was played in Des Moines, Iowa, and there were no cameras <laughs> in the games. So there was no there was no broadcast, and the radio broadcast wasn't allowed beyond a 75-mile radius of the local Des Moines, Iowa station. So it was secret Dante. So secret, <laughs> secret Dante DiVincenzo. Hit his first NBA three-pointer in uh, in <laughs> Iowa, but there's there's no actual video evidence of it. That's no lie. There's there's no footage of him hitting his first uh, NBA preseason three-pointer, but the box score said it exists. Well, so, I'll mean,
0: um, mention it last. Not Pat Connaughton's um, put up some okay numbers for for Milwaukee off the bench. I could see him being the contributor more than uh, than Dante at this point. Well,
1: you know, this is a you know at least he didn't give up a first round pick. Um, and a future second, the way Jason Kidd did to get Grievous Vasquez. But this is a new coach, right? He just needs a few of his favorite types of players, and that's what he got with Urson, Brooke, and Connaughton. So mm. those guys are going to get rotation minutes for sure. So um, so yeah. Anyway, Pat, Pat, and the Pat and the Wings in Milwaukee are going to get plenty of run this year under Bud. But uh, yep. um, my last question without notice: um, Who's your top? Um, top two, we'll give you top two sneaky league pass teams. Who are your top two teams you're going to put on league pass this year?
0: Well, I'm going to be... I'll say Utah and, and Indiana every time because I just love like oh, watching right. Ola and Mitchell are my two favourite players. So they're always going to be right at the top. And and Indiana were a sneaky, fun team to watch last year. Not even so much style. They just are they involved in so many close games. And you just... I love watching... You know the, the best players in the league and, and a team that has a, a clear sort of leader. Let's see this guy take over down the stretch. Um, yeah. And and that was it was just fun to watch. You know, Vic and and Donovan Mitchell do their thing last year, and particularly Mitchell. Like the amount of games where I saw where Donovan Mitchell, and he'd have like four points heading into the last quarter, and they're down eight, and you just think, okay, this guy's going to explode now, and he'll just come out and he'll score twenty points in the quarter and either lead them back into the game and, and they'd win or you know, a couple of narrow losses. I remember a couple of games against the Spurs. He, he did exactly that. So, um, And you just you never know what they're going to pull out next, those two players. So they're the two teams. But they're, they're probably more players. Um, in terms of teams, and if you're talking about styles, I think New Orleans are going to be fun to watch this year in terms of just the pace they're going to play at. I think that's going to be fun. And I actually think, funnily enough, I think the Lakers are going to be a fun team, Does. Um, as much as we'll sort of laugh at them off the court I'll, I'm really fascinated to see how this works on the court and I think uh, I think LeBron's going to have some fun with some of these young kids.
1: That's a fair call. I actually think watching the Lakers will be more fun than talking about the Lakers. I'm with you as well. Think about the passing between between Lonzo Rondo and LeBron I mean that's seriously three generational passers no no word of a lie um, that could be that could be fun um, I'm also my league. My sneaky league passes are um, early in the season, anyway. I, I can't imagine this would hold true for the season, but I'm really interested. I, I want to watch Luca. I want to watch him play. I didn't. I haven't, you know, consumed all the European footage content. I haven't seen tons of it, so the the flashes that I've seen intrigue me. Um, D- Dennis Smith is such a wild card. I'm not a big believer in him as a floor general leader, but maybe as the crazy off-ball player. Playing off Luca could be fun, and and if there's enough, you know, um, uh, what do they call it? Not five slime jammer. What do they call Lob City? Jeez, I couldn't think of the nickname <laughs> for for DeAndre Jordan. Is there enough amazing coaching by Carlisle to get, you know, get some um, you know, to unleash again, you know, DeAndre Jordan again? So I'm mostly curious about Luca, and for your point, I, I just. He's the player I know the least about and am most curious in, and then my other league pass would call this almost like the uh, uh, the Melrose place. I I want to watch the Wizards. I want to watch the fabric, the nuance. I want to watch the body language in the huddles. I want to watch um, Ernie Grunfeld in the stands. I want to watch um, and hear Jeff Van Gundy analyze what's going on. I want to hear the ob- obnoxious fans. On microphone, sitting behind the bench, trying to rile Dwight Howard. I want to watch that um, come unglued in the finest detail, in the mm-hmm. finest points uh, That's possible.
0: That's sadistic. That is sadistic.
1: It is, and I don't. And it's funny because I don't even hate that franchise the way you. It's easy to hate, you know, Danny Ainge or resent the, you know, the the you know the Sixers or the loudmouth MB. There, there's some easy teams to kind of, you know cheer against but there's just something about the the human psyche and putting together a club like that like Ernie Grunfeld has done there's just something about right uh, uh sadisticness right that we have in human nature almost like watching a horror film daz we love to be <laughs> terrified we love to be scared and like Rick, Ricky Gervais taught us we love to watch the uncomfortable unfold and John Walls fi- do everyone do yourself a favor find John Wall's actual quotes from that last press conference being defined about going to the club and I go, I Oh my God, I cannot wait. Choo choo that train <laughs> is gonna head off the tracks, baby. So
0: All right, Dallas, Dallas. And, well, Dallas and Washington. Dallas and Washington, not... I did not expect that. I don't they won't be on my they won't be on my favourites list. <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll see where that ends up. All right, mate, so we'll leave it there. We've both got Toronto and Golden State in the the finals at this point. We'll see how that plays out. No know that will change our minds probably 25 times between now and then, and I'll overact... Uh, to go on state probably ten times at least across the season, but um, that's more in hope I think than the proper analysis at this point. So we'll leave it there, Daz. We've got a week away from the season, so our next pod we might break down some of the actual matchups in the first week of the season. Because I looked ahead today, there's actually some really tasty matchups in that first week, including Utah going state. Uh, is the second game for both of those teams um, of the season? I'm really looking forward to that one already. So we might break down some of those those games does oh uh,
1: um, you you're reminding me remember last season now this is the remember when conversation the um, the early season um, Minnesota OKC were freaking epic games last year in the and well, the, Wiggins the bucks, hit
0: that half court three to Yeah to win
1: yeah that was the second game i thought wasn't that was the revenge game mm. um, OKC did something sim- not not quite like that but they had a couple epic battles didn't they in november yep. and the bucks the Bucks in Portland also, you know, interconference, but uh, they played two amazing games in November. So that's right, Dad. Okay, now you're getting me excited again. There actually, there is, there was some amazing drama, and, and Phoenix unraveling last November as well. So I was, I wasn't really looking forward to November until you just reminded me there was some, there was some hot shit going on last year.
0: Oh, I think and, some uh, of these teams are just the gotta, grain running.
1: Yeah, I guess that's a fair point. They, they, they want to get going. Yeah. it's, that's, that's, that's fair enough. Um, I just got a notification that I'm up in my in our um, fantasy draft, so um, the, uh, I, get, I need to go overthink this for the next few hours, here, <laughs> dad. So, <laughs> well, I'm going to
0: spend some time on next two picks, crucial picks uh, coming up in our drafts. So I think you've already whiffed on your first pick, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens from there.
1: That's okay. I did, I've taken high praise because. Five of my teammates from last year were choosing in the first like 13 picks, so everyone's picking the fear of the deer carcass, as <laughs> They're all going like hotcakes. Aaron Gordon this, Mark Gasol there, Draymond Green that. They weren't good enough to make my squad.
0: So well, I'll win the yeah. Touch Gasol or uh, or or Draymond, but I'm very no, holding Aaron either. Gordon from a fancy yeah. point of view this year.
1: No, you, you you picked the nail on the head though. I i i had I had Murray pegged as a, obviously my upside play. There's no. No question that CJ McCollum's floor is way above Murray's floor, so that that pick could haunt me the way Miles Turner Oladipo did, um, sort of last year. But I um, I went for the high beta, I went for the high variance outcome with my first. Pick well, he so
0: was often. the he was the breakout candidate in the GM survey, though. So the the NBA GMs well, agree not. with you.
1: Well, yeah, I was my logic was more they're going to play at ridiculous place. They don't play any defense. Um, the the team is under pressure to win, and so um, I just think he's got the yeah. I just I think he has this high usage kind of uptick, and uh, but anyway, that was well. The, the runner up in that
0: in that uh, survey was uh, another favorite player of yours, Brandon Ingram. So he's still on the board. There's
1: <laughs> maybe maybe in the fifth or sixth round he is. That's way too early <laughs> for Brandon, but uh, yeah, someone's going to have to score points in LA. But I. I'm I'm trusting my eye test on that one, yeah. Nice player, but I, I think he's a he's a ways away. But uh, yep. anyway, yep. so the so so let the over analysis begin. Thank you for ushering in that. Um, you started the wheels turning, buddy. So uh, yeah, good to, good to chat, buddy.
0: Okay, mate. We'll talk again soon.
1: Talk soon, pal. Thanks, Bye. Man. Bye.